podcast this week, we talk to Justin Kersel, director of the hard-hitting Australian drama Nitram, plus the usual news and nonsense on the movie podcast that is rapidly becoming the Roger Deakins of movie podcasts, which is not to be confused with the Roger Deakins podcast, which is the Roger Deakins of Roger Deakins podcasts. Okay. What I'm saying is, we're always the bridesmaid, <laughs> never the bride. Right. But our Blade Runner 2049 is yet to appear. Is what you're saying? Yes, one day. One day, one glorious. Like a shining star in the night sky. I, an award of some kind <laughs> will appear for the I, Amber I feel podcast. like there's a, there's a slight difference between us and Roger Deakins. I think we didn't get an award because we tend to get 15 to 20 minutes into the podcast before <laughs> I've even introduced myself. <laughs> Hello, Pod. I'm Chris Hewitt. Welcome to the Empire Podcast. How are you? Good. Uh, this week, I'm joined by my two colleagues of such lethal cunning here in our grey, depressing pod booth for just the penultimate time. <gasps> Yeah. Not that we're like dying. No, something. no, no. The Empire podcast is not coming to an end, <laughs> despite your letters. <laughs> Even and this episode probably won't come <laughs> to an end. Leaflet campaign so. and flyers and, quite frankly, uh, rude Sky DMs. Yeah. Skywriting DMs and general exhortations. Uh, we are not coming to an end, but our time in this great depressing pod booth is because we're moving to a new studio very, very soon, I am told. Yeah. Uh, anyway, I'm joined by my two colleagues of such lethal cunning. Helen O'Hara Hello. is here, geek queen, of course. And our great big fucking nerd, James Dyer, is also here. Hello, James. Hello, Chris. I know it is gutting that we didn't win our award this week, but if you like, I can bring in the award that I won for the Pilot TV podcast the other year and you could you could, you could borrow that. Is that, that the that best... <laughs> best completed entry award. <laughs> is that, that best, pretty much best yeah. best entry in category that Chris <laughs> forgot to enter the Empire Award <laughs> Empire podcast in, therefore leaving the way clear for the Pirate TV lose, podcast. You lose. Well, yeah, uh, yeah. Keeps me awake at night. I, I'm still coming back to this Roger Deakins thing because I, I still think mm. there's a difference between us and him in that he's Roger in that we're Deakins. good. And he's oh. he's only the Deeks. No, he's the greatest. It's, one of the greatest cinematographers he's one of, the of all time. Of all time. Yeah. 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 Uh, pretty decent podcaster as well. Damn it! Oh, I think we had a podcast off. Yeah, we could we could take him. We, he's he's in his what sixties seventies. We could take him. Sweep the leg. Sweep. sweep I am the leg. not going to sweep the leg. Finish I'm one him of the off. Great cinematographer. Finish the job, James. <laughs> How's that for a flex? An Ari flex. That was a. <laughs> it's a cinematography joke Claire. yeah there's a seeing red joke that I'm not even going to make you know <laughs> anyway we lost an award this week can you imagine why <laughs> yeah it's, hard, it's hard, hard to say really why yeah. we didn't win we were up for best podcast at some the BSMEs yeah and we lost to the Radio Times podcast <laughs> who probably I didn't know they had a podcast well no but you know they, they, they you know I'm sure they're, it's a good one I haven't listened to I'm, it, sure, it's I'm sure it's very it's good they have declared war on us. I don't think that that was in the in sorry, the Helen. Statement. It is time to go to the mattresses. Wow. Mm -hmm. I mean, just what? Well, have a nap. <laughs> <laughs> At my age, that's what going to the mattresses means. All right, Radio Times. Do you know what that, won what this that one. refers to? Go to the mattresses. It means that you go to the mattresses. Yeah, but it's from the Godfather. Yeah, but do, do you know what it actually means? Why, it's, why they say go to the mattresses? Because okay, let me, let me try and come up with a, a, a solution here. So they say go to the mattresses. Mm because there were guns hidden in the mattresses. No, no, it's because all their button men used to go and essentially stay in a warehouse. They were all in one place with all their weapons. They just had loads of mattresses on the floor. So they would all sleep in one place when they were at war with one of the other families. I know this because it's in the Godfather book. They explain it. 
Ah. Ah. It's not a good book, though, is it? When you mean you like, yeah, you is know, that right? I really enjoyed it. You mean the, the, the original novel by Mapuzo? Yes. Mapuzo? <laughs> yeah. You know, the planet from episode three of Obi-Wan Kenobi. It became sentient. Yeah, and it wrote yeah. a book about the mafia. Yeah, yeah that's absolutely what happened. <laughs> oh, God. Mario Puzo. Yeah. So Mario he, he wrote he wrote The Godfather. Godfather. I've also read yeah. The Sicilian, which is the follow-up. Yeah. Have you? The yeah. one that was that, made into a film with? That, well, I know the book was boring, so, you know, I didn't really care. Christopher Lambert. Was it? Mm-hmm. Wow. There can be only one. There can be only one. Uh, I am Sicilian. I was Dor- Donan recently, the castle from Highlander, or one of the there castles from Highlander. I mean, it's all coming full circle. In How fashion. did we not win that <laughs> award? Honestly, it's in- inexplicable. All right, Radio Times, you know the drill by now. Mm-hmm. Meet us in the car park, the back of Asta, next week, 2 a.m., bring your heaviest hitters. Mm. We'll bring Roger Deakins. And a guy with a trident. Yeah. <laughs> there were horses and a man on and fire. A man on fire. <laughs> and I killed Roger Deakins with a trident. Oh no, don't do that. As your don't lawyer, do no, we are not killing do no. Roger Deakins with any sort of weapon. Okay. You'd kill him with your bare yeah. hands, 100%. No, we're not. Yeah. No, none of us are going to do that. He's, he's tall, he's wiry, he could take any of us. I'd pop a strangely coloured shell at him. Oh, no, that, him. Might, that might upset him. You know the bit in, in Superman yeah. 2 where he suddenly produces some sort of plastic version of his, <laughs> of of his logo, logo yeah. and then throws it at, yeah. at Sod and it becomes like this, and it, and it envelops Sod. That's what I'm going to do with a, a gel. They yeah. took, took some creative license with his powers in that particular <laughs> they, film. They, <laughs> well, they, they do say, I mean, uh, Marlon Brando goes, actually, limited powers. That's frankly uh, extrapolating the abilities of, you know, Lycra. And I, I, I don't think his, his powers extend to that. Mm. So, hey, um, fuck it, we're not winning the award for this one. We might as well go off on tangents. I saw <laughs> Superman the movie performed by, uh, with a score. Mm. Not the, I mean, it's, it's less no, fun without a The score. movie wasn't performed by an orchestra. <laughs> the, the, you didn't you know, watch a cellist try and. <laughs> Played Lois Lane. I thought that would be an amazing, amazing. way to go Kneel about things. Kneel before the string section. <laughs> uh, well, I think you're fine, James. That's actually from Superman yes. 2. Yes, Chris. Yeah. Yes, Chris. I know. Yeah. yeah. Unbelievable. Unbelievable. Anyway, it was at the Royal Albert Hall, uh, the Royal Abs, and it was great. Are we going with Royal Abs? Anyway, I, don't I think that's what love, yeah. I love, love, love their, um, their or- orchestral screenings of stuff. You can't um, hear the dialogue, though. You Well, that's why they put the subtitles on. I mean, it's better in some films than others. Sometimes you can hear the dialogue absolutely fine. Something like Gladiator, where Hans Zimmer is going nutso. Like, you, you cannot hear every word. Drew. I feel like as much as I love Interstellar, I do not ever need to see that with a live orchestra. Okay, well, I wasn't, that, I wasn't that planning on it. That would be quite oppressive, I think. But it's things like, I mean, I'm going back to see um, Return of the Jedi. I was there <gasps> for The Two Towers. No, September. Fellowship. Fellowship yeah. was there for most recently. Um, I just I love it they're doing Titanic they're doing Return of the, of the Jedi not at the Royal Albs but they're doing a Muppet Christmas Carol with a live orchestra no one as needs well. to see that and there is magic in the you air you are a fool that evening there's magic in the air but, so, so what are the ones they're doing so, so, so Return of the Jedi yeah uh, on near enough my birthday so we should go where's the screening commando could you imagine oh, steel <laughs> drums as far as the eye can see oh. That'd yeah. be amazing. Okay, well, you guys have fun that night. <laughs> it's, it's such a shame I'm busy. It's his uh, finest hour. You love Commando, the film. I love Predator. I tolerate Commando. Helen always goes Commando. <laughs> that is... A, uh, hello, HR. <laughs> James is talking about my underwear again. <laughs> hey, I'm just talking about your taste in films. I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> oh, dear God. 
Oh dear. And hey, we got anyway. one more chance to win an award. That's we got right. one more this chance. This is award-winning banter, is it not? <laughs> this is great banter. Is this no, is really, no, really no, great. Uh, anyway, we're in this pod booth for the penultimate time. Yeah, we've we're just, being we've just told, uh, yeah, get out, get out, Empire Podcast. Get out. And because this is Helen's last Empire Podcast. This is her in last this em- pod. Oh yeah, keep forgetting that bit. Uh, this is your last podcast in this booth because you are going off somewhere. I'm bu- buggering off to France next week. Yeah, France. Yeah, for a couple of weeks. Français. Très bien. Incroyable. Mes amis. Ouais. Mm-hmm. Je vais visiter mm-hmm. uh, Val de Loire. Uh, she, uh, I'm going to visit. Uh, let me translate. Use okay. my Duolingo powers. I'm going to visit. Right. Val de Loire. Valerie de Loire. Patisserie about Valerie. Yeah. Len- okay. La Normandie. Leonard Normandy. <laughs> okay. Chartres. And she, she's going to shart. I mean, look, <laughs> I mean, there that's... are public facilities all over Paris. You should have no problem. This is why you should never go commando, by the way. Versailles? Can you do something with that one? Versailles, yeah. Okay. Yeah. <gasps> there you go. God. Paris? Yes. Nice? Uh, I do. Very much so. Two, as a matter of fact. It is. There you go. <laughs> right. Uh, so I understood some of that, which is which is good. I'm making I'm making progress. Uh, Very obviously, bon. Helen, what are your memories? Um, let's not turn this podcast into a clip show. Sure. Um, <laughs> it's a real tip nipper, but um, <laughs> it's a cockbiter. <laughs> but uh, what are your what are your what are your most beloved memories of being in this grey, depressing pod booth? Um, with sometimes with James, sometimes without James. Yeah, those, those were probably my best <laughs> memories. <laughs> yeah, no. Well, um, I interviewed uh, Greta Gerwig in here about Little Women. You did. I was here. Yeah, I watched the whole thing. Yeah, it was, not in a creepy way. I, I mean, was no, producing were, the, yeah, you were the producing. interview. Yeah, yeah. it's fun. Um, but she was a delight. Uh, we had Jim Cummings in here, of course. He was lovely. He did. That's um, right. He, did. he had COVID. He, he <laughs> did have a COVID. No, he, uh, in he, fairness, I don't he, think he did. He did not have COVID. He did not have COVID. Yeah. He, he was still testing COVID. positive for COVID because he took a PCR test. And you tend yes. to, don't you? So we yes. didn't actually have COVID. Yes, we but were told. We all thought we had COVID after the interview. Yeah. We were told after the fact that it, he he had tested positive for COVID, yeah. but it turns out he did not actually yes. have COVID. That is accurate. That is accurate. But so, it was yeah. a very fun time before the whole COVID before test the whole COVID scare. scare. Yeah. It was, it was fun. Yeah, it was just a great time. Yeah. Do you know we've been here for longer than I think you probably think we've been here. We've been we've been yeah. doing uh, shows from this booth now for at least five years. Yeah, I was thinking which that. Which is it's depressing. Been, been <laughs> but, uh, but actually, three years because two of those years we were not in this we booth at all, here, were we? Yeah. This is true. Yeah, yeah. we yeah. were remote, detached. Yes. <laughs> Uh, so, uh, any other memories, or was it just two? Um, it's <laughs> two, just, two memories. It's honestly, the two that came up first. Um, <laughs> Notice they didn't involve us. They, no, all they the didn't. great banter well, and no, all the we laughs. Had the, we had. had the four-hour Avengers Endgame main spoiler pod in here. Mm. Obviously, we did multiple Avengers Endgame spoiler yes. pods. Yes, we did. But the but the four-hour kind of marathon one was in here. Um, that was a lot of fun. Well, that was great. Yeah, what great. a wonderful trip down memory lane. What was on my last show here. I'll ask, answer okay, that question fine. next week. All right. You say you're giving yourself a week to think about it. I yeah. had like yeah. 10 seconds. That seems unfair. Yeah, I always feel that I need time to come up with stuff whenever a question's being asked. Anyway, this week's question uh, is from David Wagner, or it could be Fagner, at Sanatos999 on Twitter. And he asked, after seeing Top Gun Maverick again, who are your favorite pilots? Mm. Oh shit, he said the word pilot. Oh god. <laughs> the door has been left wide open. No, oh, no. Here he comes crashing through it. I'm saying nothing. Well, Chris. 
<laughs> well, the best pilot, as we all know. Although, Isn't pilot even I should calls. point out that we are actually doing this podcast with, you You asked me to turn on the screens in the grey podcast booth. You wouldn't know this from the picture that I put up the other day on Twitter. There are two screens and they both are emblazoned with the logo of the Pilot TV podcast, which is currently shining forth in a kind of yellow glow. It is. It is. I could change it to Empire One, but it's quite a faff. So I haven't. Oh, for God. Do it next week when we're doing our last show. Oh, I will will change change it next week. It takes about a week to do it. So, yes, I will. You have to to climb out the air fence and (laughs) climb around. Yeah, I have to climb through the fence to do it. I should point out, though, this is is quite appropriate that next week, next week on the Pilot TV Mm -hmm. podcast, we have Mm -hmm. the debut, and I say debut because it's the first time he's actually been invited, the debut of one Christopher Hewitt. Wait, so he's been invited? Well, no, 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 no. Yes, yeah, you are on the show. And I, in the you same know, way you Because you it was one of these things. They said, who do you want to interview Chiwetel for Bill Nye and Naomi Harris for The Man Who Fell to Earth? And I said, well, Pilot TV's biggest fan, Pilot TV mega fan Chris Hewitt, who would do anything for his favourite podcast, the Pilot TV podcast, the award-winning Pilot TV podcast. And so, uh, and so Chris, Chris <laughs> feel, hurled feel, himself feel, into the breach. I feel an asterisk <laughs> is needed there every time you say that. <laughs> he hurled himself into the breach and he, uh, and he did the interview on behalf of the Pilot TV podcast. Wow. Which is which is good. Okay. It's good. So if you want to hear more Chris, and why would you want to do that? But if you do, uh, you can find him there. I'll tell you so what anyway, happened. best movie pilots. I, I, I took pity on him. I took pity on him. He was like, I need people. I need I need someone to do interviews for the, for the what's it called? <laughs> the pilot TV podcast. And, you know, I try not to give it legitimacy. I try not to <laughs> know, shine good, the light on it. You're a good guy, you know. But you're I'm a good, good guy. guy. You can't help. And I helped him out in the moment of feel feel yeah. a certain amount of sympathy. He's my friend, and he was hey. he was he was on he was on <laughs> his last legs. He had no he had no word to turn, and I helped him out in a exactly. moment of weakness. And then uh, there were massive technical problems. There were. You, I mean, you fucked it up. There's no getting around it. I didn't it. fuck it up. I didn't fuck it up. It became fucked up. It became fucked. It was pre-fucked. It was pre-fucked. Have you managed to fix it? Uh, it has been unfucked, yes. Okay. It's, it's fine Good. now. So um. I couldn't hear Lem. It was a remote interview and there's the three of them together, Chiwetel Ejiofor and uh, Naomi Harris and Bill Nye and the three of them were in a room and uh, because I had come down with not COVID but a cold, the studio wasn't not comfortable with me being in the same room sure. as them. And that's totally fine. I mean, that's not totally having fine. you in the same room as people is, is understandable. In fact, it, yeah, it's it's, it's desirable, <laughs> <laughs> advantageous even. And uh, so they just said, "Hey, listen, um, let's do this remotely instead." But then I couldn't hear them. There was a technical issue, so I couldn't hear a word they were saying. And so I kind of had to, you know, just guess that they had finished answering the <laughs> questions, and it was a whole thing. That's so not it ideal. wasn't it wasn't my finest hour. Yeah, no. uh, however, uh, it was made the pilot TV yeah. podcast. <laughs> slightly less listenable than I have done my job. Great movie pilots, everybody. Great movie pilots. Well, um, it depends, you know, what are we going for here? Are we going for, like, coolest, handsomest movie pilots, in which case Poe Dameron? Are we going for ones with the most developed plot, story, (laughs) arc? In In which which case, case, not Poe Dameron. Not Poe Dameron. (laughs) But somebody maybe like, um, uh, what's his name, Peter Carter in um, A Matter of Life Life and Death. Yes. Uh, David Niven's character. The Nivs. The Niv. um, Who has just the best um, story in that. Or are we going for just like, um, you know, best role in the greatest film, in which case it would of course be uh, Peter Graves as Captain Clarence (laughs) Over in Airplane. (laughs) Helen, do you like movies about gladiators? <laughs> That's a character that I don't think they'd be able to do these they days. Absolutely There's not. a lot in that movie that you, you're watching going, this is an amazing film, but I'm not sure that joke would fly these days. I'm not sure that joke would fly these days. Oh no, the movie's five minutes long now. <laughs> but uh, yes, so he is uh, Captain Over 
uh, who is, how do we put this? Uh, someone who yeah. is, has no filter when dealing with anyone, maybe. I, I, it's hard to say because mm. he almost immediately gets food poisoning and is carted away. Oh my God, that, that bit is so amazing. <laughs> that, honestly, that is Peter Graves' finest moment. The whole thing, the the under, uh, the over under. Mm. And Give me done, ham on five, hold the mayo. That, that bit is incredible. But the moment where Leslie Nielsen is describing the, the symptoms of the food poisoning and he experiences them in real time in front of him, it is just glorious, but also yeah, everything with Joey. Yeah, you like movies about Tur- you like movies about gladiators. Joey, ever been to a Turkish ever prison? Been to a Turkish prison? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, what's going on there? Uh, it, yeah, okay, yeah. we're yeah. done. There we go. If you want to have your question read out on the Empire podcast, we are over, under, and done. Uh, Any more, Jimbo? Han Solo. Oh, for God's sake. <laughs> <laughs> I thought I'd push the boat out and avoid any kind of first base answer. And I would go, because well, I mean, And then you decided to just go with the first base answer. Yeah, yeah, yeah pretty much. I can't really be bothered to put some thought into it. Um, I, you know, I don't know. Like, um, I mean, okay, what are the parameters? A pilot of what? A, a just pilot, planes, a planes and spaceships? What are we anything, saying? Anything. Obviously, planes you're, and if you're spaceships. A, okay. If you're a pilot, preferably a hotshot pilot, mm-hmm. uh, I know that you've Googled extensively for the last five minutes <laughs> yeah. and you've come up with Han Solo. So, well done to you. <laughs> you didn't even get as far as Pearl Harbor. No, I didn't. Come on. I d- I'm not sure I'd pick either of them from no, Pearl Harbor. No, no one uh, Macho Grande? No. <laughs> over Macho Grande? No, I'll never get over Macho Grande. Over I mean, Ted Striker. Ted Striker. Yeah, right, right. This whole thing is yeah. going to be Randy airplane. Quaid, Independence Day. I mean, Randy Quaid in anything. Yeah, well, that too. Really? Well, you know, he pr- drives that, much. he flies that plane right up the Right up, right up the Jackson. Um, right now, um, moratorium. I mean, moratorium. There is on that a better word. pilot in that film. <laughs> there are many better Just pilots. FYI. Hey, he saves the human race, Helen. How'd you get better than that? So does Will Smith, mm, and he lands on Earth again. A Bill Pullman. I'm going to throw in Bill yep. Pullman as well because Bill Pullman is speech. the president who is also <laughs> a fighter pilot and he takes the skies at the end and then obviously when he gets back and he lands and they've saved Earth from the alien scum, mm-hmm. he, you know, gets busy and then a few years later, or however pregnancy works, <laughs> uh, Bob, Bob pops out and ends up on Top Gun Maverick because Bob is, of course, played by Lewis Pullman, son of Bill Pullman. Two that was, that was that so was, yeah, it was very laboured. Was I wasn't so sure where that was going. I didn't know though that that was his son, and I'm delighted his son. for him. Well yeah. done, both of them. So you've, you've learned something. I have yeah, learned Ted Stryker, Ted Stryker, played by Robert Ted Hayes is great. in Airplane. He's fantastic. <laughs> uh, over Macho Grande. No, I don't think I'll ever get over Macho Grande. Uh, <laughs> headquarters. The, what is it? Headquarters. Is a big building. <laughs> <laughs> where all the generals work, but that's not important <laughs> right, right now. now. Oh my goodness, Airplane, James. It is a comedy. <laughs> yeah, so I've been told. <laughs> mm. Any more? Uh, have we? Have you bought you some time? Not really. No. <laughs> All right. I'm going to say these are not great pilots, but I would say that any pilot who works for a bad guy or any pilot who is flying a plane on which an action sequence is about to break out has a very, very low life oh, expectancy. Oh, yeah, their life expectancy is like, like 0.5%. 0. There yeah, is, even... you, if a gun is fired on a plane in a movie, it will hit the pilot in the head. And that is That's just... That's one of the laws of physics. It is. Yeah. No matter where the gun is pointed, no matter where the bullet Funnily is enough, aimed... This comes up in one of the films we're reviewing this week. Precisely. Mm. That's one of the reasons why I brought mm. it up, uh, because um, it happens in... 
minions. <laughs> the rise of Gru. It's, it's very Harlan unexpected. Gets brutally murdered. It's <laughs> quite shocking. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. So absolutely, there's loads. There's loads of uh, pilots we just being shot. We haven't mentioned, you know, but but you know, some are shot down. We've got Tom Hardy in uh, Dunkirk. Yeah. Um, you've got uh, Tom Cruise in mm-hmm. American Made. Yes. He's quite a good pilot, albeit not so much ethically, you know, as as in terms of his yeah. skill as a pilot, I guess. Is that your answer still, Han Solo? I feel like I can't be bothered to engage with this question. It's a good question. I'm sorry, is it though? Yes. It's a really so, good question. The best pilot is the Pilot TV podcast, and I think we can all agree that that is good the answer Lord. to this question. You haven't even tried Sully, you haven't tried Denzel in that one film. I know. I mean, if I was really being bothered, I'd whip out Alan Tudyk for, uh, you know, for, oh, for Serenity. A Leaf on the Wind. A Leaf on the Wind. Mm. A leaf on That's the wind. too soon. <laughs> um, you haven't mentioned e- either Flight of the Phoenix. No. Mm-hmm. I mean, in fairness, they're not great pilots. <laughs> Any plane that has a plane crash. Yeah. yeah. They're better plane builders than but, plane yeah, pilots. Maybe. I would yeah, say. That's fair. That's probably fair. What about, um, what about um, Cary Grant? Only Angels, of, Only Angels of Wings. Sounds right. Yeah, obviously World War II movies have a, a, a plethora of pilots. Yep. Uh, so Helen has already mentioned... David Niven in Matter of Life and Death. That's a great one. Um, That's what I was thinking of. But there's a Steve McQueen movie from 1962 called The War Lover, uh, which I saw when I was a kid and and really stuck with me because, spoiler alert, um, the reason it stuck with me is because McQueen plays a heroic pilot who doesn't make it (gasps) at the end. He dies at the end of the movie. And I I remember watching it going, what? (laughs) What just happened? That's not meant to happen. Steve McQueen, he doesn't die in movies, apart from the ones he dies in. Yeah, it, it was. it's always a shock, isn't it? I mean, it is a shock, yeah. In those kind of movies. Um, I don't know where the line is between pilots and astronauts, but I feel like there's a... Well, space, Helen, presumably. <laughs> <laughs> the final like frontier. How- these are the voices oh, hey. of the story. Hey, 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 hey. You didn't say any of them. <laughs> That's true, I didn't. I am telling on Are they you. pilots or are they just button pushers? They are button pushers, they let's be honest. They are pilots. I mean, which, okay, who flies the fucking Enterprise? Sulu. Does he? Yeah. What, what about when he's on the Excelsior? Who flies it then? Well, his lieutenant, because he's the captain, you doofus. <laughs> no, I mean, who flies the Enterprise when he's fucked off to be on the Excelsior? I don't remember who was in the chair at that point. Yeah. Probably Savic. Like, I don't know. Because Chekhov is flying it in the JJ ones. Yeah, isn't Chekhov it? flies it. Yeah. yeah. So, but again, fly, quote unquote, fly is a oh generous term for, as Chris says, pushing a button. Yeah. Okay, but like in space camp, they definitely fly the shuttle back to Earth. Yeah, unless there's a joystick, you're not flying. How is. How is a joystick the cutoff point? Oh, I'm I'm saying it's a joystick. It's, Manual... not, it's not a joystick in any of the World War II films. They've got the 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 thing with the you told the two wheel, hands. Yeah. <laughs> Manual control of the of the craft, I think, is important. And those guys, Chekhov, Sulu, love them to bits, but they're just pressing buttons. Yeah. The ship does the work. Han Solo, they do up and Chewbacca, go down. like they go down. I feel like Come Picard on. says engage, and they go yep, and they press a button. I mean, he does on it, all. and it's done. No, but when they're coming out of like space dock and stuff, there's definitely like a, a, a move up and a move down on the board. There's no space docking in Star Trek. <laughs> Not engaging with that. <laughs> oh god! Um, all right, all right. <laughs> Moving on from space docking, I'm going to say uh, Carol Danvers, obviously a pilot. Very good. Okay. Yep. Yeah. Good. 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 Steve Trevor also a pilot. Hey, Helen. Come Hello. on. 
You didn't even think of that? Yeah. Honestly? Chris Pine, your boy? Yeah. He wasn't a pilot in Star like Trek, but, you know. One of my boys. <laughs> He's no. one of my many boys. One of, one of her many boys, A yes. uh, Back to pilots, I'm going to suggest uh, a certain Captain Antilles from Star Wars. I appreciate this is a wedge issue, but uh, I think we <laughs> oh, should. Uh, <laughs> but, but, you know, just, just throwing that in there. Oh, my God. <laughs> Uh, all right, your next one. I'm going to talk for a little bit. It's not allowed to be from it's, Star Wars. It cannot be from Star Wars. That's you've seen movies. movies. <laughs> I know you've seen movies. I don't want Pharaoh. to talk about pilots. Pharaoh. There are no. There are, pharaohs do not fly planes. It's ridiculous. It's, it's <laughs> anachronistic nonsense. Yeah, ancient Egypt, no planes. Stealth. Broken Arrow. Yeah, okay. Stealth. <laughs> stealth was an I'm out there choice. I'm trying to give him a, a, a movie yeah, with a pilot. I'm stealth. stealth was an odd choice. Pilots, it's just not a good movie. Unbelievable. Uh, I'm going to say possibly the most, well, or one of the most famous pilots in movie history we don't even see. Can you guess who it is? Who is it? It was, of course, Helen, the pilot of the crop duster in North by Northwest. Oh, that's a good answer. Yeah. That's a good answer. But it's a terrible answer also because th- that's not the best movie pilot because we literally don't know anything about them. And also it makes no there sense there. in the context of the film. Why is there a crop dust? Also, he misses, he misses this one. Well, he's in a bunch of fields. There are fields. That's yeah, why why is it like a homicidal crop duster? Because it's been hired by the baddies to kill him, to sneak I mean, up on him I'm and not being him. funny and I'm not like a professional killer, but if you're going to hire an assassin, I'm saying if they come equipped with a crop duster, you should look elsewhere. But they're in a plane. They're strafing on the ground. The problem is they miss. That's the that's they're strafing. Issue. They're yeah. strafing them. Yeah. yeah. Uh, Indiana Jones flies a plane in Last Crusade. He does, but not very yeah. well. So I'm saying that rules him out of best movie pilots. He never learned how to land. He lands just fine. He lands okay, but not well. Any landing you can walk away from is a good one. What's the um the film Welcome to the Jungle in which Ewan Bremner plays a drunk pilot who is very... Is he a drunk pilot? I think Someone's so. Someone's a drunk pilot. There's definitely a drunk pilot in The Mummy, right? Yes, the drunk pilot in The Mummy oh, who flew in World War I and misses all his friends because they all died and then he he dies in, in the sand and but he dies with a smile on his face because... He was still trying one last time. And he got in the He's air lovely. one last time. Yeah, and he got to hang out with Brendan Fraser and the mummy. So and that's good. Love that. Yeah, absolutely. James doesn't, but no. you can shut up. All right, James, one last one from you. <sighs> Neenum. <laughs> yes, exactly that. Lando Calrissian. He's, a, he's, he's pretty good. He's the best Celestin pilot on this list. Do you know who's the worst pilot in Anakin movie Skywalker. History? Anakin! <laughs> no, I think that's harsh. I mean, morally, He's maybe. just a button pusher. In fucking Phantom yeah. Menace, he's just a button pusher. Whee! Yeah. Little shit. Yeah. No, the one I'm going to say, and technically it's a helicopter pilot, not a plane pilot. <gasps> but the Jen Rock. Michael Vincent. The Rock in San Andreas. Uh, in the middle of a massive statewide emergency, he fucks off from LA, where he's supposed to be working, all the way up to San Francisco on a personal mission. Well, if you're bringing a helicopter pilot in, I think you've extended this by another five or ten minutes and oh we, don't have to, we don't have time we don't, for that. we don't have time um, frankly I'm disappointed in you both uh, I thought your answers would be what? better I Helen's was of life and your, death. yours were fine it was correct yours were, you started off with a good one you brought Peter Graves in which was the correct answer mm-hmm. um, although Ted Stryker is amazing so <laughs> Peter Graves and Ted Stryker uh, are the correct answers to this and also David Niven and also David Niven and also Han Solo so technically James got one right I mean did he but I mean you can't you can't rule Han Solo out of this discussion 
Although I think Chewie does a lot of the flying, if I'm honest. Chewie, well, I can't say Chewie because I'm biased. Yeah. I'm, I'm yeah. in the Chewie time. I feel like Han mainly just tits around and, and shouts orders. Why are you saying Han today? Han. 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 I'm using the Han. Not Han. 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 What do you think they're talking about on the Roger Deakins podcast? <laughs> what do you think they're talking about on the Radio Probably Times podcast? Do you think it's this level of conversation? I don't think it is. No. If you want to have your question read out on the Empire podcast and treat it with the respect that it deserves, you can get in touch with me on Twitter. I'm at Chris Hewitt. You can slide into my DMs as Sanatos999 did. Slide into my DMs. I'm at Chris Hewitt. Or you can reply to any of my tweets once you've started laughing, of course, or maybe gone, oh, that's a very good point, Chris. I hadn't thought about that. That's another response to my tweets. Uh, And or you can wait for a panicked shout out every now and again. And or. That's a name I've not heard. At all, actually, because I'd never met him. Ah, <laughs> uh, movie news. Yeah, yeah. What's happening? Oh, I should probably have a look. Well, Here we go. Um, have a quick Google. Uh, exci- excitingly, excitingly, um, Cameron Diaz is coming back out of retirement. She which is, is. Really good. just when she thought she was out, they pull her back in with a great big sack of cash. Yes. <laughs> That's how you do it. Well, yeah, she's coming back for a film called Back in Action. Um, and she's going to be working with Jamie Foxx, who she appeared with in Annie. Um, and uh, yeah, I mean, I don't know much more about it than that. Um, Seth Seth Gordon is uh, is I think directing, and he wrote the script with Bad Neighbors Brendan O'Brien. So you know, we'll see what we see, but uh, hopefully, it's good to get her back because she's a very funny actress. Well, and I really hope that it's a Netflix with, film, so it has the mark yeah. of quality. Some of them have been good. There are good ones. Precisely. Exactly. So, you know, let's hope this one. I don't see how you could possibly discern anything else from my tone of voice. I I I wouldn't dream of doing so. Um, but that of course will have to keep us, you know, keep us going while we wait for the next Bond movie, which I, of course, am doing with bated breath Mm -hmm. even now. Hmm. Because uh Barbara Broccoli has given an interview and she talked about the fact that the next film is at least two years away from going into production. Nobody is in the running right now. They're working out where they're going to go next with him. And they are approaching it really as a reinvention of Bond. We are reinventing, she says, who he is. And that takes time. I'd say that filming is at least two years yes. away. Yes. But it's always at least two years between Bond films. Yeah. So Yeah, especially, you know, <laughs> we're reinventing him. It takes time to reinvent him before we call Purvis and wait in <laughs> with six months to go, as we always do. <laughs> Uh, possibly, possibly, well, maybe not. This if you're time, being you know. cynical, yes. Yeah, I feel like I feel like that. You know, the the last film was very much crafted to feel like the end of an era. I think that that was a very intentional thing from Daniel Craig and from the, the creative team working with him that they wanted to actually have an ending, not the ending of Bond. Of course, we all all know there's going to be more Bond films. Unfortunately, they keep ignoring my letters, but an ending, and so mm. they have to reshift and reevaluate and and figure out what's next. Um, a lot of people online are talking about: Do they go period with it? Do do they take it back to the sixties? Do they do something a little bit more kind of stylized with Bond, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. which I think could be very very cool. It would be the easiest thing in the world for them to have done a Bond cinematic universe by now, where you have a Money Penny movie and a Blofeld movie and a Q movie and an M movie and various offshoots and different Double O agents, and they haven't done that. And I don't think they're going to do that. No, that's Instead, that's I think they're going to take this opportunity to hopefully do something really creatively invigorating and um, you know whether that is as you say you know you, you could 
you don't necessarily now have to have a Bond who's going to be Bond for 10 years. You can have, you could have a Michael Fassbender come in and be Bond for one movie and be Bond for two movies. And then you could pass over to uh, Reggae Jean Page or you could pass over to Henry Golding mm. or you could have a number of Bond movies in production at different times with different Bonds. You could have all, you know, knock yourself well, you, out. You could, yeah, you could do something like that, like like the... Casino Royale. Well, no, <laughs> yes, but also very much not. Um, but the you could do something like that where you have um, the same group of supporting cast that you had in No Time to Die coming back and yeah. saying sort of it basically in tribute to our legendary friend. We're now making this a code name. We're now making this a number that goes with that code name. But we're going to rotate it out depending on what the mission is. So you could do that. Um, but I think then you are getting very close to a James Bond shared cinematic universe. Um, and, and yes, I, t- I absolutely take your point that they don't cash in on it to the to the extent that perhaps they could. But also, they could. Yeah. I think they have a very clear sense and have always had a very clear sense of not killing the golden goose. And I think that's basically what, the, what they're back to doing now. Back to tank. <laughs> <laughs> Flashback to tank. That's what they need. Honestly, much of the next one opened with just like him different pieces of him in a, oh, in a flashback, no. flashback to tank gradually knitting him together again but this time with a different face they've done that before die another day you have a completely different face he wakes up da 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 he's Henry Golding he's 20 years younger that could happen that's my might put a spoiler warning in this but anyway but that's 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 my theory for what they're going to do with, with Bond alright yeah uh, it's the same Bond and he's in excruciating agony with every step he takes um I don't know. If we, oh. I don't know if we talked enough about Cameron Diaz coming back. That's a pretty big deal. We kind of just yeah. spun right past it. Well, I'm, I mean, I'm not sure what to say apart from yay. Yeah, you know, she's been uh, or she's been launching her own line of, I think, organic wine. Did you know that? I mean, that would be enough to make, make you want to go back to acting. <laughs> <laughs> well, I don't. I, I mean, as a non-drinker, we're absolutely not the people to talk about this. But apparently, uh, yeah, she's been working on sort of you know organic, I don't know, environmentally friendly wine. Um, in her absence. All right. Okay. I was wrong. There wasn't enough to talk about with, with Cameron Diaz. <laughs> Did you read the Howard Stern thing? The weird Howard Stern thing? No. What's the weird Howard so Stern So Howard Stern was doing his show, a show, some show. Uh, the Howard Stern show, I'm presuming. Presumably. And there was a hot mic situation where someone asked him what he was doing next. And he said he was working on Doctor Doom. Uh, and it mentioned Kevin Feige and mentioned calling Robert Downey Jr. for tips of something. So, uh, obviously, that's all we know. There was a hot mic situation, but this was a thing that was going around. What? Yeah. So, theoretically, is he working on it? Is he playing Doctor Doom? I have no idea. I mean, you know, maybe like a voice act- role rather than a hard face to say. role? Hard to say. Howard Stern as Doctor Doom. I'm. What? I mean, I I quite like him actually. I think he's quite funny and stuff, and I, I quite liked um, Private Parts back in the day. So did I many years ago. Howard Stern is yeah. Doctor Doom. Surely that's not what's happening here. That Surely, must it's be a if, if there's a Doctor Doom appearance, he's doing something like you know, like appearing as himself in the Doctor Doom MTV Awards. Yeah, yeah, maybe that is it. Maybe he is playing himself in Fantastic Four. Who knows? In the same way that Elon Musk played himself in Iron Man 2. I refuse to acknowledge that. I mean, <laughs> sorry, no. Um, that means, yeah, because we suspect, because it was announced that Marvel's going to be back at Comic-Con, which is happening in San Diego mm. in a few weeks' time. Mm. 
So there will be a big old Marvel panel and the word on the street is that it's going to be dropping a lot of interesting shit. And I think it could, yeah. Yeah. My my current antenna, uh, my feeling in, mm. in the water, and this is no prior contact, I haven't been in touch with anyone at Marvel Studios about this, uh, is that we might get the Fantastic Four on stage. I think we will. I think that's one of the more likely things that will happen. Yeah, yeah, I agree. Especially since Howard Stern is apparently playing Doctor Doom. <laughs> so, uh, <laughs> what are, we, are we thinking Krasinski or not Krasinski? I'm thinking I think, Krasinski. I think Krasinski. I think Krasinski. And I'll have to get over myself. <laughs> and listen, he's, he's perfectly fine. He is a cromulent. He's a very, very good choice, but he's, he's not... I, I don't he's like smart, fan he's casting. He's wildly handsome. He has a great mm. beard. Yeah, so it's not him you object to. It's how he came to be possibly, associated with possibly. this. Possibly, like yeah. You know, mm. I'm I'm not a big fan of the internet willing something into being. Mm. Yeah. Maybe maybe that's it. It makes Sarah Halley Finn's job easier, I guess, <laughs> as, as Marvel's casting director. It's like oh, you know, who routinely pulls up miracles, performs miracles on a regular basis. Uh, this time she's like, oh, I don't have to. I'll just ask the internet. Who do you want to play Sue Storm? His wife. Oh, there we go. <laughs> Emily Blunt is now <laughs> Sue Storm. Who do you want to play Johnny Storm? Chris Evans again. All right. Chris Evans is now Johnny Storm. Who do you want to play the thing? It doesn't matter. It's a bloke in a suit. <laughs> Get Jimmy Bell again. Why not? Why not? Why not? I mean, no. I'm no. excited about it. I'm, I'm excited about what they could be announcing. I think they'll announce... We're not sure whether Phase 4 ends with Thor, Love and Thunder or I guess technically the end of Miss Marvel. But I suspect they're going to announce a lot of projects. So next year's big films are the Marvels, first of all, right? And then it's Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3, I think. And then it's Ant-Man and the Wasp, Sunny Birch Mania. And that's <laughs> basically those three. After that, it's complete another speculation. And I think they're going to fill in the blanks. Yeah. And I think they're going to lead up to a movie that could or movies that could be the fifth Avengers film. I think that's I think that's where they're going to go. But there's going to be a diddle in there. There's going to be some kind of X-Men or Fantastic Four component, or maybe both, leading up to Avengers. Because, again, it's wild that we're three years on from Avengers Endgame, the second biggest film of all time. Thanks to James Cameron taking it seriously and re- having Avatar re-released so it became the biggest film of all time again. But it's three years since that movie did what it did and they haven't gone back to the Avengers well yet. And that's remarkable I think that's actually, yeah, I think it's, it's, it's commendable self-control as well. I think mm. it is, that was the end of an era for Marvel and I think they are absolutely doing the right thing in taking a breath and introducing and bedding in new characters before trying mm-hmm. to put them all together again in in some kind of new supergroup configuration. How are they going to do that? Um, and I think I think that will, t- I think we need a little bit more time. We need to see some of these people twice, you know, before we sort of accept them um, getting together with yet more people. So I think the Marvels is an important step that way. I think Doctor Strange was an important step that way. Um, I think, uh, you know, whatever we find out in a couple of weeks is going to be mm-hmm. a big, big step in that direction. But I, I'm not, I'm okay with waiting another year or two for that. All right. My grand prediction. Sure. Whatever that movie is, whatever that, if it's an Avengers movie, I think whatever it is, we'll have the word Avengers in the title because why wouldn't you? It may also have the word X-Men in the title. We shall see. But that's going to be May 2025. That's All my right. prediction. 
I'm not. That's my that's my grand and glorious and obviously quite wrong. Prediction. Give me X Men. Give them to me now. <laughs> don't. I will not wait. Give, give me X Men. Don't give them to me now. I'm happy to I wait. I want actually. all the X Men in my face immediately. Oh. Now, hang on, no, that sounds oh, weird. Oh, that sounds. Uh, X Men. Oh. Fuck tank. Come in. <laughs> oh God. May 2025. Words. That is uh, no. 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 I, uh, uh, we need we need a breath. I'm just saying we need no, a breath. No, never. Give what do we, what do we need from what? Yeah. What, what, what do we need a breath from? From the shit show that was the last two films. I'm over it. It's been years. It was there were there were there were precisely three years between. <laughs> no, not even that. There were two years between Amazing Spider-Man two and Tom Holland popping up in I know, Civil War. I know. As long as you get it right, it doesn't matter yeah. what, what the gap is between films. I hope so. And it's, I think we've all suppressed the memory of Dark Phoenix anyway. So I'm makes haunted sense. by it, James. It wakes me up at night. I don't mind Dark Phoenix. I think that movie uh, tries something different. And yes, it doesn't entirely succeed. Or you might even argue it doesn't uh, succeed at yeah. all. But <laughs> I think it does try something different. But it, it, you know, it was much better than uh, Apocalypse. I know we're on That's a sliding true. scale. Yeah, but yeah, yeah. the last great X-Men film... Days of Future Past. Counting, oh, no, not Logan. counting the Deadpools yeah. and Logans. Um, the last great X-Men film was yeah. 2014. Mm. So by the time an X-Men movie creeps and crawls into cinemas, it it'll be at least decade. 10 years. Mm. How's that for a breath, Helen? Yeah, uh, Helen. I still want more time, but okay, fine, whatever. Anyway, um, but yes, yeah, so look, I'm, I'm sure when it comes, it'll be good if, if they get the casting right and they get you know the, the, the makeup of the team right and they find a cool way to introduce mm. mutants. and, and it's, it's just so know. difficult because I think you can recast all of it. It's just whoever's cast as Wolverine is going to have a difficult time of it. I think because Jackman is now so iconic in that role. Mm. That's a difficult thing to they need, deal with. But, you know, he he is a foot too tall. So, you know, there's yeah. room to be more... But I quite... I, it's funny. Like, I wonder whether what people who've grown up with the films, how oh, they'll yeah, they take no to short Wolverine. Yeah, like, they have no idea. I'm not sure that they'll yeah. take it well. So... That's okay, you know. Yeah. Uh, well, I'm not really not Jackman. Well, wow. I'm not really in a mountain. Well, at all. in the in after Spider Man No Way Home, I don't think we can rule anything out. Yeah, that's but, true. Yeah. But I do wonder whether at this stage it will be that slightly awkward first class thing where he's of an age now where you're not going to cast everyone else's age. So he'd be like teacher Wolverine. But that's with perfect. All the kids. That's, he's the old perfect man age for because Wolverine's old meant. Man he was yeah. always meant to be that guy who's kind of. I've always seen Wolverine as someone who's like perpetually. In his fifties, yeah, that's and, fair, and that's kind of where Jackman but is right now. You've got to feel like Logan was a perfect send off for that character. I don't know how Jackman would ever. Talk but equally, that. if he was, if he was wooed and was given some really cool stuff to play, it's called money. <laughs> and was also, and was also paid a shit ton of money. <laughs> yeah. uh, yes, have this big sack of gold. Please come Always back. Always believe in your soul. <laughs> uh, any great pilots in the X-Men universe? Beast? He, Beastie flies the, he flies Beast the plane? Beast flies the plane. Beast flies the plane. Uh, Cyclops flies the plane. Doesn't show any particular yeah. fancy, fancy moves. Um, yeah. Hang on, who's flying? Is it is it Gene is flying the plane when Storm does the stormy thing and then they have to go between all of the all of the twisters? Let's say yes. Okay, Let's so Gene's pretty good then, but there canonically. Go. You should never play twister in Gene, I'm just saying. Mm-hmm. Anything else? Before we move yes, on, uh, there are a couple of other stories. I mean, first of all, it's been a very good week for trailers. So, anyone out there listening, please do go and watch the trailer for See How They Run. Um, Ticket to Paradise is also out. Um, and also, what was the other good one? Hocus Pocus 2, obviously, very exciting right. for people of a certain generation. Yes. So, See How They Run is a British all star whodunit 
that stars Sam Rockwell, Saoirse Ronan, David Oyelowo, Ruth Wilson, Reese Shearsmith, and other amazing people in a uh, murder mystery, comedic murder mystery, set in and around the uh, what looks like the 1940s or 1950s, 1950s in London, yeah. because Richard Attenborough is actually a character in the movie. The actual Richard Attenborough, Yay. I suspect he didn't do it. Uh, and so it's a kind of whodunit uh, with uh, Sam Rockwell as a grizzled detective investigating a murder. Uh, it's no spoiler because it's given away in the trailer that the murdered is Adrian Brody. No. Uh, and, uh, and we'll get to see him in a flashback, I guess. And Saoirse Ronan is his very enthusiastic assistant. Adrian Brody's constantly No, Sam, uh, Sam Rockwell's. He's constantly trying to arrest people. Now, interestingly, Sam Rockwell from the trailer does seem to be trying to do a British accent. Amazing. But also doesn't speak very much in the trailer, which maybe suggests that he hasn't been 100% successful at it. <laughs> I hope not, because he's an amazing, amazing actor and is very, very talented and obviously has a big old Oscar and it's Justin Hammer. Uh, and, and all the good stuff. So, fingers crossed for that one. Ticket to Paradise is a romantic comedy which reunites George Clooney and Julia Roberts. Sadly, it is not Oceans 14 uh, or, or indeed Oceans 2. Oh, I love an Oceans 2. Just, you know, just Tess and Danny Ocean pulling uh -huh. a heist on their own without the help of anyone else. That would be amazing. Mm, I'm going to need to see the costumes before I can sign off. <laughs> otherwise, I'm on board. Anyway, so it's from All Parker. Uh, and it just seems to be a very frothy rom-com. You can probably predict every beat, but there's nothing wrong with that. No. Uh, he and she, uh, he being George Clooney, she being Julia Roberts, are a divorced couple who uh, find themselves going to Bali because their daughter played by Caitlin Deaver, is mm. getting married to some bloke she's just met and they're both trying to stop that marriage from happening. Do you think their relationship might be rekindled and sparks <gasps> might refly during what? the course of this? Wait, and do you think the daughter do. will turn out to know what she's doing and get happily married after all? Maybe. Maybe. Actually, that's maybe, a bit maybe more. Maybe that's open. That's fair. That's yeah. open. But, uh, but Clooney and Roberts will be back together again for sure. And the third one was... The third one, the third I'm glad trailer. you asked because I definitely haven't flicked away from the right page. Uh -huh. Uh -huh. The third trailer was... The third trailer was, and, and it's such a good question, it's Chris. It's a great question. <laughs> it really is. It's... Hocus Pocus Hocus 2. Hocus Pocus 2. Okay. Uh, so I don't get Hocus Pocus at all. Uh, I, I think Hocus Pocus 2 is proof positive that if you just wait around long enough, your bad movie will become a classic uh, in some it's, quarters. It's slightly, it's a bad movie, Hocus it's, Pocus. It's not a great movie. But having said that, it hit me at the wrong age because I was aware it wasn't a great movie. Whereas it hit my little sister at the right age. And she was not aware it was not a good movie and right. therefore fell madly in love with it as a child and still loves it now. I think those sisters have become quite iconic, those characters. Yes. I think that stuff worked. It's just the storyline around them makes no sense. And, and with the greatest of respect to the actors at the time, they maybe weren't, the kid actors maybe weren't the most accomplished across the mm. board that we've ever had. So, uh, so I think it has... Yes, it has aged, not brilliantly, but it has aged to find a lot of affection and therefore it's probably quite a smart move for Disney Plus to bring them back. And this could be a good one. It could be good. It this could, could be good. Be, this could be really fun. It could be good. There's also the news that Hugh Grant is going to be playing Zeus in a Greek mythology series. I did see series. that. Yeah, that, that has me intrigued. So he is Zeus and Cliff Curtis is Poseidon and David Thewlis. David Thewlis. David Thewlis. Yep. Is Hades. Hades. And that's a good, that, that's a fun lineup of people, I reckon. But haven't we established that David Thewlis is, in fact, Ares? 
Yes, we have. But I think this is less Percy Jackson rules and more a new show rules. But also, I think set. Is he a cheeky monkey? <laughs> That's a terrible experiment. You're a werewolf, Seuss. <laughs> anyway, so we're clearly looking forward to anything that David Thewlis <laughs> does. Um, that should be a love a bit of David Thewlis. Love, love a bit of him. Lovely. Great, David. But I can't believe we're back to casting Hugh Grant as a womanizing cad. David Hewlett would be a great Doctor Doom. Yeah, he's now Howard Stern. He's no, well, he was yeah. Aries already. He can't also be Doctor Doom. Yeah, this is true. Uh, also dropped yesterday the reveal of Empire's latest issue, which is our Avatar The Way of Water issue, woo, woo. Uh, which includes, shall we say, at least one, possibly two character reveals on the covers, the newsstand cover and the subscribers cover. It's very, very exciting. The newsstand cover uh, has Kate Winslet's character from the film in there, and the subscribers cover has Sigourney <laughs> Weaver's character in there. Oh. Sigourney Weaver's Navi character. Oh. Mm. How that works, you'll have to read the issue to find out. But uh, it's very exciting stuff. I'm really, really psyched about this film. And I know that on the internet, it's not like fashionable or trendy but to be excited about Avatar. But Avatar is a fucking great film. And I am 100% here for the sequel. I love the trailer. Having been through all the feature stuff, I think it sounds fantastic. I'm, I'm very psyched to return to Pandora. Yeah, I'm, I cannot wait. It'll be good. It'll be like a little holiday, you know? Yeah. Just go to somewhere magical and beautiful. Quaritch is back. He's big. He's bad. He's blue. Uh, it's, yeah, there's a lot going on. A lot going on. A lot of great stuff inside the issue. Yeah. He feels like the kind of person who would, you know, when you do go on holiday, would like steal the best on lingerie every day. And no then matter kill how you early you got up. And take your eyes for jujubes. Mm. Probably. Uh, it's all very, very exciting. Uh, as indeed is the news that Top Gun Maverick has crossed a billion dollar mark yeah. at the global box office, making it the first time. That a Tom Cruise movie has done that, which yeah. is kind of mind-boggling Whoa. when you think about it. It is mad, yeah. isn't it? Because he's generally regarded as the biggest movie star in the world, and to think that none of his films have crossed that mark. Not even close. Yeah. Not even close. Wow. Previously. I think the closest he got was with, uh, was with Fallout, which I think made about 800 million 800 worldwide. So, yeah. But yeah, otherwise, has even touched, has even scraped the sides of a billion dollars before. He probably has a billion dollars. I'm sure he does. Probably, you know, just goes home, his furniture's made out of cash. That's what I would do if I were that rich. I, that okay. Again, I, I've I've tried to advise you on finances before, Chris. But once but no, again, Helen, that would be a very bad way. No, of no, no. Investing your cash. No, I'm, if you have a billion dollars, mm. you can invest like half a billion. Yeah. For a rainy day, you're totally fine. You don't have to touch that money. You just you you know you you just live off the interest of that alone, thus allowing you freeing up the other half a billion for you to do with what you will. Now, yeah. obviously, if I had a billion dollars, you guys would be quids in. You're good friends of mine. I would make sure that you were taken care of. Uh, sounds really... Shallow graves. <laughs> there it is. <laughs> unmarked. No, you, I, I'd give you... Name a figure. A, uh, one half million it. dollars. Half it. Wow. Half it again. Okay. <laughs> Keep having it. Okay. Oh, there we go. Wow. Um, no, you'd be well so taken generous. care of. I'd make sure you didn't have to work again. Uh, you know what I would do? You know what I would do? <laughs> I would, sounds threatening. I would, a freelance, Chris. That's not a nice thing. I would. <laughs> these also sound like threats, actually, now I think about it. <laughs> uh, I would make, we would, well, I'd start our own company. Uh-huh. And we would have a purpose-built booth. It wouldn't be grand depressing. It would oh probably be in the Maldives. Okay. And we would just get up in the morning, splish-splash to work. Yep. You know, still in our shorts. And then, you know, we sit around drinking out of coconuts, 
living the life. <laughs> earning 20%. Earning 20% <laughs> of half a billion, which I have put aside. Uh-huh. Now, and then you get back to your lovely hut over the water in the Maldives, yeah. right? And we're talking about movies. And oh God, I've got a premiere to go to in LA, so I better go on my private jet and go to that. Mm. Um, but the furniture would be made out of cash. That's the downside. And it's not very comfortable. Yeah, I just, I feel like we could make better use of the cash, but everything else sounds pretty good. Again, also not 100% on board with the private jets. Well, it would be an electric which, jet, Helen. Well, Elect- only, electric pri- here's pioneered. The thing. Okay, yeah, but the, this is the thing. Actually, I was talking to, to an, a genuine an expert in green energy and aviation who was saying, Bruce yes, Banner. if you if you would actually <laughs> outlaw private jets right now, today, mm-hmm. then you would get electric jets pretty quick. Yeah, so we should do that. There's, yeah. a, there's a lot of things that you, if you outlawed right away, that would make a fundamental yeah, difference. I think. Anyway, so I do have a problem with the electric, with the non-electric private jet. But if it's an electric one, then that's right. a step in the right direction. We could try a giant catapult, but I don't think it's going to work. No, that, that I'm not so on board with that. But if you want to go first, that's fine. Okay. As long as I've checked your will first. All right, but honestly, if I won, if I won, like if I won big in the lottery, you guys, you'd be all right. You'd be taken care of. If I won big. You would be people I met. Damn you! Damn you! <laughs> no, I kid. Of course, I of would course wave I would at share. you from the back of my he, limousine. Of course, he, absolutely, I would he, absolutely he absolutely would. He absolutely would. would. Oh, you, you totally this would. This is not the case. This is not the case. <laughs> I think you would find I would be most generous in my largesse. Paul and I talk about this all the time because I'm sure you know we we have this conversation. What, Everyone, what, what we do if we win the lottery? Yeah. Uh, first thing we would do is we would buy a car and then go on uh, go on Dream a big, kick, kick-ass holiday. Yeah. Uh, and then you know we would give all our friends uh, enough enough money to so they wouldn't have to work again. My first thing would be some buying a house or houses. Let's be honest, mm-hmm. uh, depending on how much I stacked on top of each other. And yeah. then yeah, and then like paying off all my family's mortgages and and setting them all up for life. And some of my family, guys... I would do that. I would go here. You go. Here's enough money. I never want to see you again. <laughs> yeah, you're a monster. Severance. Yeah. Wow. Mm. I wa- I would use the money as I think all people should, to undertake a radical environmental agenda to make the world balanced as all things should be. Oh, uh, Christ. Yeah, I think uh, I want to see whales in the Hudson. I want to see, yeah, I, you know, I would do good. I would and put, then I would I, sit back and bask in the gratitude of a grateful universe. I'd put whales in the Hudson. I would, I would transport them there in a giant private jet mm-hmm. that's flown around the world a few times. Okay, neither of you should the win the lottery. Environmental, the environmental benefit is, is, yeah. is huge. Anyway, anyway, I think we're out of movie news, so yeah. uh, let's have a guest, shall we? Hurrah! Uh, so our guest this week was meant to be Christian Bell, or one of our guests was meant to be Christian Bell. Uh, that will now be happening next week. Christian Bell, of course, is Gore, Christian the God Butcher. He did. He did Christian Bailed. Uh, however, for very good reasons that I'm not at liberty to divulge on this podcast, but that was meant to be happening today, will now be happening next week. But that means that our one guest, our one and only guest this week is the wonderful Australian director, Justin Kersel, uh, whose films over the last what 10 years, 10, 12 years or so, have displayed a fascination with the um, history of violence in Australia. And other countries, of course, and the fragility of the male psyche and what makes it turn to violence. I'm talking about movies like Snowtown, uh, Macbeth with Michael Fassbender, the less successful Assassin's Creed, also with Michael Fassbender, uh, the true history of the Kelly Gang, and now his new film, Nitram, which is the tale of the Port Arthur Massacre in 1996, uh, in which I think 35 people died uh, at the hands of a lone gunman who wounded many, many more during a rampage uh, in Tasmania, uh, which remains to this day the 
the most horrific uh, massacre perpetrated by one person in Australian history and and changed things almost immediately overnight and the country brought in greater gun control and greater gun reforms, uh, meaning that hopefully it will never happen again in that country. It's obviously a very timely subject uh, to, to talk about because there are mass shootings happening recently in the States. There's pretty much a mass shooting happening every week in the States and the discussion about gun reform and gun control rages on. Uh, less so over here, although we of course have been tinged by gun tragedy and uh, gun massacres uh, in, the, in the last few decades as well. So this is a very, very hard-hitting movie, uh, Nitram, uh, in which Caleb Landry-Jones plays the title character, Nitram, uh, which is a childhood nickname given to this man. Uh, the movie pointedly and purposefully doesn't name the perpetrator. His name is obviously out there. It is a matter of record. You can Google it if you want to do so. But the movie doesn't portray the massacre. This is something Justin Kersel and I also talked about, this decision not to show the massacre, the way that, for example, Paul Greengrass did with mm-hmm. 22 July a couple of years ago. So there's this really, really fascinating, it's a psychodrama, it's getting inside the head of this tortured, troubled young man as he experiences a, a number of setbacks in his life, uh, which lead him up to that pivotal, horrific moment. Uh, and it's a very, very hard-hitting movie, as we're going to discuss it in a few minutes. And uh, I spoke to Justin Kersel from his home in Tasmania just the other day on Zoom. It's very, very interesting indeed. So here we go. Me talking to Justin Kersel. Do please enjoy. We are delighted to be joined on the Empire Podcast by the director of NITRAM, Mr. Justin Kersel. How are you, sir? I'm good, thank you. Uh, congratulations on the film. It is an incredibly powerful piece of filmmaking, and it is... Something that I think, you know, it's it's a very, very timely movie. And obviously there are all kinds of mass shootings in the States. It seems to be happening on almost on a, on a weekly basis. Uh, and it seems to be a, even more timely than ever. Um, this massacre in Port Arthur basically instigated gun control and gun control change in Australia. Uh, so is that part of the reason why you wanted to make the movie? Yeah, well, the seed of it. Uh, really came from Sean Grant was living in Los Angeles. Uh, he's the writer of um, of Nitram, and um, you know he he had a couple really close calls with some some shootings in in America, and I think he just suddenly started writing. He was sort of in this fever, started writing a film about gun reform, and and uh, I, I think he sort of had Port Arthur and and. That particular person and the sort of lead up to the Port Arthur shootings as 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 something that he'd been thinking about for the last sort of ten years. I remember him mentioning it uh, when we were on our first film, Snowtown, on mm-hmm. set, and um, you know us not really understanding or knowing how you could. But he just started writing this uh, screenplay. I didn't know anything about it. It landed in my inbox, and you know I. Um, pressed open and started reading and, yeah, and was sort of petrified uh, but became completely seduced uh, and really moved by, I don't know, there was a familiarity about it. There was something very recognisable about these characters. I sort of felt as though they could be living at the end of my street and um, there was something very, um, yeah, just very intimate about it that that um, surprised me and, uh, and it was it was extremely good. So I thought, you know, I took a deep breath and thought, yes, let's make it and sort of was, I don't know, hoping along the way that it would fall over or that, you know, that the funding wouldn't come, which it didn't and, you know, but it was a film that just sort of wanted 
to, to, to be made. So, um, yeah, it, 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 it was very challenging to say yes, but it was such a great script and such an important one that, you know, I felt as though I sort of had to, you know, had to make it. At what point did you realise that? So you get the script. Uh, had Sean given you any heads up whatsoever about the, the subject matter? No, no. So I started reading it and I didn't really know at first and, and, and it really read like a family drama. And, and I kind of, I was sort of sucked into this family and to this sort of person and these relationships and, you know, probably about halfway through sort of really sort of started to understand kind of what it was. And there was something, there's something about the scene that he wrote where, where, where Nit Ram walks into this gun store and sort of, you know, looks at this room and these horrific weapons and, you know, starts buying them like golf clubs you know, that yeah. without a license, that there was something about the timing of that scene, the way that scene was executed and the and the and the lead up to it, the 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 kind of really intimate step by step lead up to that that was just so shocking. Um and, and I believed it. Like I believed the steps, the the the, the footsteps to that gun store mm. felt really real and plausible to me. So there was something always very powerful about that scene uh, that seemed to sort of galvanise what the film was about and, um, you know, why making it. And I remember, look, when, you know, we were on set and it was sort of discovered that we were making the film and, you know, there was, there was a lot of noise um, about the film at that time. I mean, even, the, you know, the, the Australian Prime Minister was talking about it in question time and I remember, you know, it, it definitely rocked us um, a lot. Um, when the lens is on this film that's only half made, half being shot. And I remember going to do that scene in the gun store and finishing it and the, and the other actor was so extraordinary in it and just looking at Sean and going, and that's why we're doing it, you know. There, there was something, there was, that, that scene was always something that kind of galvanised us back to the, you know, why we, we, we're making this film. Because of the the horrifying, the, the, the banal nature of it, the horrifying nature of it, the fact that it's so easy to go into, it was back then in Australia, it's so easy to go back in and, and buy guns. But in America, it's exactly the same. You can just go in, relatively speaking. And get, yeah, Caleb was like looking at us and going, there's nothing, you know, he's, so Caleb's a Texan yeah, who's, who's playing an, an Australian in it. And, um, you know, Caleb was saying this is an everyday occurrence in, in you know, in America, like this feels very ordinary. And, you know, and that's the tragedy of it, really. I mean, you know, he talks about gun culture in America and his memories of high school are going through metal detectors every day. You know, so it's a very different conversation that we have in Australia and we, in, and I'm sure you have in the UK mm -hmm. to what America has. Um, you know, so the film sort of speaks to different countries in a different way. Absolutely. Well, I also, I also grew up in, I'm Northern Irish, so I grew up in a... Oh, yeah. Yeah, I grew up in a country where where guns were, where, where policemen were police were walking around with guns. Guns were uh, yeah. fairly prevalent in society. Uh, you come over here, and it's a very very different situation. Obviously, um, I find that aspect of the movie really really horrifying as well. And I think there's there's some really, really fascinating choices that you make as as a director, uh, which I imagine were baked into your decision to make the movie. You do not depict the massacre. I, th I don't know if that's a, a spoiler necessarily, for, but uh, I I feel that it was important to you and Sean not to depict the massacre? Was that, was that something that you decided from the off? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, look, I think that, that, um, 
it was interesting because I think when people did sort of understand that we were making the film, I think that was a, a huge part of the conversation was, you know, uh, you know, is, is the mass- massacre in the film and it was sort of something that Sean and I decided, you know, well, well Sean did, Sean wrote it, decided, you know, that, that um, the story could be told and the, um, you know, and the, and the horror and the dread of it could be, could be experienced without, um, without showing the message. What sort of work did you do on the script with Sean once you decided to commit? Did you change much or was it, did it go into production fairly quickly from that, from that moment on? It, it did. It's a real COVID film. So, you know, I, uh, I'd, I'd just been sort of working on a couple of films and um, they'd sort of fallen over. Sean was sort of involved in some films and, and, you know, the whole world went into isolation and after about six weeks, Sean sort of sent me this script. So um, really from him writing it to uh, us being on set and, and then it being done, it was, it was really quick, like within tw- sort of 12 months. Um, the script was really solid. Um, probably the thing that we um, did, did our most work on was, was I guess, developing that, 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 that sense of family in the in the in the script so i think the characters of the mother and 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 helen's relationship with 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 nit ram and mm. um and nit ram's relationship with the father i think that sort of unit uh really sort of uh became strong and sort of focused and a lot of that happened in rehearsals you know we we're, we're all living together in geelong in a in a hub we weren't allowed to go out because of covid we all had to stay in together sort of so sort of for five or six weeks so we were really um you know, we spent a lot of time talking about the, the the script. Actually, it's the best way to make a film. If I could ever do a film again, it's sort of lock away a bunch of people for five <laughs> or six weeks. You're not allowed to go out. You get a hell of a lot of amazing kind of screenplay work done. So, um, yeah, we, 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 we mainly focused on that. And that was Judy also bringing just a kind of dimension to the mother that, that, that I think probably wasn't as, as, as clear in the screenplay as, as I think she brought to it on screen. Yeah, she's terrific. And and, this uh, is not Sean. It's just, it's just that natural thing when you get an extraordinary actor like Judy Davis coming in, you know, you're going to get some pretty incredible kind of instincts and ideas. It's, it's, it's interesting what you said there about, you know, you're, 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 once you realize what it was about, that that there is a there is a, a nervousness about tackling the subject matter, and, and yet you have this incredible cast of amazing Australian actors, you know, Judy Davis, S.E. Davis, of course, uh, Anthony DePaglia. Um, it's always great to see him actually using his own Australian accent. <laughs> I'm so used to him being American these days. Uh, but was there any nervousness from them about taking part in something like this, about playing? No, that was what was extraordinary, <laughs> is that the nervousness came more from, you know, other bodies mm. Um but the ones that were actually doing it and committing to it, you know, some of the country's best actors that have ever been trusted it, you know, read it and trusted it, understood why we were doing it and the virtue in, in, in doing it and why it should be made. And it was, it was really instant, you know, we, we never, we never got any, um, never were made to feel um, anything but supported, you know, by, by those actors. And, and there were there were some pretty rough days there. I remember on that second day shoot when you know I think the Prime Minister of Australia was actually sort of talking in question time about our film. So it was it was there were a couple of days there where it was um, it had a bit of heat on it. And I just remember Anthony and Judy and Essie being so so um, strong and supportive of us. They could see that we were 
you know, we were questioning a lot and and um, they were just rock solid. Was was part of that because of um, when, when massacres like this happened in the States, there is obviously an argument that uh, that you shouldn't name the killer, that the killer shouldn't be given any uh, a platform at all in the media or on social media. Uh, and this movie goes a long way towards doing that. You know, the, 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 the killer's name, the perpetrator of this massacre is never named in the film. Uh, you can obviously Google it if you want to, if you want to find out more about, about that. But that seems like, again, a very, very deliberate decision from you. But I suspect that part of the opposition in Australia in the early days, at least, was again, that nervousness, a wariness about platforming him or, or humanizing him in some way. Look, I, I think that that's probably the biggest discussion about the film and making a film like this is is that infamy question, and 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 that's hard. I don't, you know, Sean wrote this film through the point of view of this particular individual to actually show some kind of understanding as to how he got to that point in the gunshot, like like that the actual the actual telling of that story through the point of view is so integral. In, in, in the understanding and the power of what gun reform is. So, you know, the, but, but at the same time, you're telling it through a particular individual that, that you know, obviously there's enormous concern and, and um, you know, uh, yeah, concern about whether, whether that individual is going to somehow get any more sort of infamy. So, it, you know, that, that, that's probably been our biggest criticism about the film and, and of other films that have been, you know, about certain kind of um, figures. Um, but I, you know, I, I hope that the film, um, you, can, you can see that the film remains balanced and that there's, you know, a, a pretty particular point of view there that, um, that we're following um, and you can kind of understand and see how dangerous that individual becomes. Mm, absolutely, and uh, and Caleb's performance is is integral to that. Uh, he's a very interesting actor. Is Caleb? He's always someone that I found to be to have an unsettling quality. Was that one of the reasons why you wanted to go over him? Uh, look, I think there's a, there was a physicality straight away that we responded to with with him from from the films that we'd seen, and and also just kind of like, wow, what an actor! But we went and met him in Los Angeles, and and uh, he was pretty impressive and incredible when we met him and Sean and I, the writer was there as well. We both sort of walked out and went, you know, we we just have to give it to this guy. And I just had a hunch that, that it was going to be a directing experience unlike I've ever had with another actor. I could just tell that, that there was going to be something very immersive about, about the way Caleb works and that I was going to learn a lot and, and that he was going to kind of reveal you know, um, certain ways of approaching acting that was going to be really new to me, and 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 it was. So you know, there there, there was sort of something about just trusting the fact that a Texan's playing an Australian, and mm-hmm. how is that going to pull off? Because it's one of the hardest. It's also one of the hardest accents to uh, pull off. Um, but you know, there was just sort of something in him that I thought this is, you know, it's important to work with Caleb now, and and. Um, and and I you know I I think he's really substantial as an actor. I think he's uh, I think he's someone who loves acting, who's not embarrassed by it, who's 
completely and utterly interested in the intricacies of it. And, you know, to be around someone like that, you know, in, in one extreme I had, you know, J- Judy, and the other extreme I had Caleb, both, though, approach acting in the most forensic way. And th- that's something amazing to be on set when, you know, you're with actors that love acting, you know, and I know that sounds really sort of simplistic, but I think there are so many distractions for actors um, you know, when, when, when actually just the simple thing of being in love with acting and, and really exploring that craft, you know, that, that's, a, that's an amazing thing to be around as a director. What was the most surprising thing about working with him? What, what, did, you, uh, what did you take away from that experience that you perhaps hadn't with previous actors? I, I've, I don't think I've ever worked with a more fearless actor. I think that he uh, was pretty on most of the time. He didn't really have an off button. Um, and that's not to say that he was sort of some madman walking around set, that he was just always, he he was always just there next to the character. You know, he never dropped the accent. So it was really the last day that suddenly he went back to the Texan kind of drawl that he, that, that, that he had, which kind of shocked and surprised everyone. But he was, you know, he, his access to something that he had built and built and built uh, was was deeply impressive and and f- fearless in that he did not care about the way he looked, you know what what you know whether he was going to fuck up. It was it was just it was um yeah it was it was genuinely kind of immersive in a way that I'd, I'd sort of never experienced before. Um, and 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 yeah, and that was really exciting. I mean. This, just different, you know. I've worked with some pretty extraordinary actors, but um, there was just something there was just something different about Caleb. Uh, and what's next for you? You're working on something at the moment, I believe. Uh, I'm doing a TV. I'm developing a TV series called um, a Narrow Road to the Deep North, which is a Richard Flanagan book that um, that uh, uh, is, a, is a Tasmanian writer. Um, yeah, and I'm developing a, a, a couple of films at the moment. Hopefully, one of them will will, will get up, and the series will get up next year. But um, you know, who knows? <laughs> <laughs> but at the moment, uh, another script could work its way into his inbox, and that could just tickle yeah, your fancy. Yeah, and off Sean, you go. Sean could be uh, Sean could be delivering another script in my inbox. <laughs> you know, hopefully, it's something. Um, yeah, it's a romantic comedy or something. <laughs> <laughs> Indeed, that would be that would be an interesting uh, that would be an interesting wrinkle for sure. Um, Justin Carlos, I've got to let you go, but it's been an absolute pleasure. Thanks so much for your time. Cheers. Thank you. Take care. Okay, so that was Justin Kersel, and now let's start the reviews section of the show with Nitram uh, Hellsbells. Yeah, this is a very kind of low key way of approaching the subject. So we are introduced to to Nitram. I'm just going to call him that, uh, but Caleb Landry Jones's character, you know early-ish in his life, a sort of late teens. Um, he is kind of pushing against the authority of his parents who are played by Judy Davis and Anthony LaPaglia. I mean, this is one of those, oh, you got all the best actors in Australia kind of kind of uh, casts. Yeah. Um, yeah. And 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 is try- he's, he's visibly lost. He visibly doesn't have a purpose in life. He visibly doesn't feel like he fits anywhere. He's sort of sneering of everybody, but doesn't really have anything of his own to 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 measure against that to to weigh against that sort of put put in there there's just a fascination with first uh, fireworks then later guns but he doesn't really have a you know he doesn't know what he wants really he doesn't seem to know what it is that he's going for he's just kind of drifting 
he seems uh, initially to to hit a bit more of a, a kind of equilibrium when he meets Helen uh, Essie Davis, who is a kind of uh, an eccentric heiress, I guess. I mean, she's a rich woman. She doesn't necessarily live like it, but he comes in to do odd jobs for her and ends up sort of becoming this weird friend, confidant, mm-hmm. sort of housemaid at one point. And there's a very strange dynamic to their relationship where he seems to be more comfortable with her, but also at times very, very threatening to her. And, and you see this sense of menace mm-hmm. sometimes begin to come out a little bit more uh, than it perhaps did before. Um, his his parents, especially his father, have setbacks in their in their lives. And that also you know, seems to feed into the sense of grievance that he has. But really, it's a very low-key thing. This is not a film that feeds you answers. This is not a film that, you know, gives into kind of easy psychology, particularly. It's not like, oh, you know, abusive parents and therefore Mm. massacre. It is very Mm. much more a sort of, he's he's just responding to things oddly and and he doesn't seem to know how to do any different. And Mm. people who reach out, maybe reach out in the wrong way or at the wrong time or he can't respond and can't see it for the help that's offered. So it's 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 almost a story of kind of missed chances and missed opportunities for him to just do anything else, it feels like at times. It's, it's almost, um, there's a sense of not quite fatalism, but a sense of missed opportunity, I think. Yeah, yeah, I can see that. Uh, although I think it's also a movie that's basically saying this kid's fundamentally broken. Yeah, I also agree with that. I think that's true. I think, you know, and if you've listened to the interview with Justin Kurzel, then you'll know that this is a movie that was met with some trepidation in Australia. I, I saw people yeah. who were survivors of the massacre and obviously Justin Kurzel himself is Tasmanian and, you know, he he's very much aware of of, of what a horrible blight the, the Port Arthur massacre was. But there were people who were survivors of the of the massacre, for example, who were basically like, what the hell is this movie doing mm-hmm. uh, why why does it exist surely it's just platforming this yeah. guy even though they make a decision not to platform him but as I said you can just google his name if, yeah. you, if you want to do that uh, which you know I, I recommend not doing but you know I, I did yeah, have the, to the find out more about of, the, um, the details oh it's horrible are, are oh awful. it's awful absolutely awful it's absolutely awful um, um, I read it in some detail yeah. and I wished I hadn't but uh, and I stopped, in fact. But the 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 movie itself, I mean, he's very aware of the pitfalls that you could fall into, mm-hmm. which is one of the pitfalls um, of a movie like this, which is a glorification, mm-hmm. which is humanizing, mm-hmm. which is always a terrible person. But I don't think it does that. No, absolutely not. It's, when I say opportunity, yeah. I think I think I mean almost more opportunity for him to go a different yes, way. Yes, absolutely. Rather yeah. than for other, I'm not There's saying no other people failed. I'm not yeah. saying other people failed yeah. him. I'm saying that he always just seemed to be at the wrong place and, yeah. and couldn't couldn't take the help that he was given. Um, it's, yeah. And I think the last shot of the movie in that respect is very, very interesting and very powerful. Yeah. Um, and it's not about uh, glorifying violence. And in fact, it makes that point in the movie. Though. So the Dunblane Massacre mm-hmm. here in the UK happened just a few weeks before his actions in Tasmania. Mm-hmm. And th- the movie makes a point that, you know, endlessly Cause dwelling on these on these stories can trigger yeah. other people, which is, you know, psychologically proved and, and sort of demonstrated again and again. So, yeah, I find it quite powerful. It is very low-key, though, and it is a very unhappy watch in many ways. This is a very unhappy person, very unhappy people, mm-hmm. um, and it's not It's not going to be a cheery film. So Empire gave it three, yeah, which I think is 
I, I might I might have gone four myself, but I don't think that's, you know, wildly off off base. Yeah, it's it's been largely, largely praised, I think, as well. And uh, Caleb Landry-Jones actually won Best Actor at the Cannes Film Festival for this performance. And Caleb Landry-Jones is an actor that I've always had a very complicated relationship with. <laughs> um, uh, I tweeted the the other week before I had seen Nitram. Uh, I tweet. I try not to tweet too many negative things these days, but I, I made me laugh, so I tweeted it, which was that feeling when one of the most acclaimed films of the year stars Caleb Landry-Jones, and it was the famous gif of Larry David in Curb, where he's kind of way up, weighing up his options and trying to decide which one's worst, and he's going, going, oh, you know, that kind of moment. Um, because Caleb Landry-Jones is a, an actor that I, I just find very unsettling and off-putting. And you know, when used right, and he's used very, very right in this movie, um, nails, the, nails the accent. Uh, absolutely fair dinkum, mate. Uh, just like that. Just yeah. like that, mate. <laughs> Nailed the accent, mate. And um, apologies to the entire people of Australia. But he's he's fantastic in this, you know. But I've, I've, I've always been slightly off-put by him mm. in movies, even when he may be playing the good guy, um, which is interesting when he... Yeah, but except maybe Three Billboards. So I liked him in that. And that's the movie in which he actually does get kicked out of a window. Uh, and most of the time in movies, you're actually hoping that someone does kick him out of a window. Um, <laughs> He's but drawn to, let's say, psychologically complicated characters. And characters who perhaps have a capacity for violence. Mm -hmm. Unless, of course, you're talking about, you know, the robot and Finch. There we go. There you go. But, but yeah, he's uh, a very, very yeah, good actor very well and this is a very, very good performance. And as as Helen said, it's an embarrassment of riches on the acting mm -hmm. front. Uh, Anthony DePaglia, great to see him using his actual accent and not the monstrosity of an accent he used in Frasier, which won him an Emmy, incredibly. <laughs> uh, Judy Davis and of course, Essie Davis, who is Justin Kersel's wife. Uh, she's amazing in this yeah, also. Really so yes, I, I'd go more in the three as well, but we gave a three. So what are you going to do? Okay. Uh, there you go. That is three stars in for Nitram. Next up is The Man from Toronto, which which is a film starring Woody Harrelson and Kevin Hart uh, and was meant to come out as a Sony release yep. in August. Yeah. And so imagine my surprise, Jimbo, <laughs> when I opened Netflix the other day to find it's another one of their knockdown ginger films. Yeah, they did. There's a film. Here's, Here's a, a film. film. Run away! Run away! <laughs> you really should run away. Yeah, because this, um, this has been for one of a better word, dumped. It has. It has been mm. dumped. On Netflix. Mm. So originally by Jason Statham, who was going to play the Woody Harrelson role initially. Uh, but yeah, th so this Couldn't is... do the Toronto accent, can you? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, go, I'm Jason Statham. I'm the man from Toronto. <laughs> uh, somehow it didn't work. Uh, those were the creative differences. So this is a Patrick Hughes film. Patrick Hughes, of course, who did Expendables 3, uh, the Hitman's Bodyguard's Wife's Bodyguard's Wife Bodyguard yes, those that's, the next one. that's the next one yeah. uh, and he's doing the remake of The Raid the Netflix remake of The Raid as well he is yes uh, this doesn't bode well for that unfortunately he's a decent action director I think well not so much here but uh, there's, a, there's a really good uh, there, there's a scene taken almost ex exactly out of Rush Hour but uh, other than that I, mm. I must admit I did not have a complicated relationship with this film in that I just didn't like it but mm. the plot of this film is essentially and I'm just going to read it out to you it just says the synopsis the world's dead as assassin and New York's biggest screw-up are mistaken for each other as an Airbnb rental. And I think that just sums this whole film up rather perfectly. It's a... Go on, Helen. I'm just You're interjecting. Was, that was New York he was from? Okay, it didn't look like New York, but fine. Okay. But yeah, Teddy, that's, that's, that's the, the issue Kevin you have Harker. with this film? No, my second my second question is, is he technically an assassin? Because well, I see, got yes. more of a torture. I know what you mean. He seems to be an assassin who specialises in, shall we say, enhanced interrogation. Mm. But yes, yeah, so he's... Woody Allen plays this guy... Uh, Woody, Woody Allen? Who <laughs> knew? Uh, Woody Harrison plays uh, the man from Toronto who is an assassin stroke torturer. As in, he doesn't torture people by stroking them. That would be 
weird. But he's a torturer and an assassin. Uh, and he has a job that he turns up to, but they, of course, see Kevin Hart and assume that Kevin Hart's Teddy is that man. And, and hilarity. hilarious hijinks ensue. Yeah. Now, there is a whole running uh, gag through this where Teddy is a screw up and so he has become a, he's become a verb so when you teddy something you screw it up that's the thing oh you've totally teddied it this film has been royally teddied I think it's fairly safe to say oh, it's, no no it's, it's I mean it's it's not good it feels like these kind of mistaken identity wrong man films are a dime a dozen and, mm. and this is not one of the better ones uh, and you know I could give you all the reasons why but you just don't even need to hear it I think the synopsis kind of sells exactly what this is and exactly why it doesn't work they help each other like the, the the man from Toronto helps him become slightly tougher and more self-confident. He gets the man from Toronto in touch with his sort of like more sensitive sides. They help each other emotionally. It makes no fucking it's, sense. It makes no sense. My issues with this film, among many of them, are that Kaylee Cuoco is in this film in the most thankless role mm. I think I've ever seen. For an actress so fucking good, if you've seen The Flight Attendant, especially season two, she is really, really good. And she, I mean, it's just awful what they do to her in this. Um... I yeah, did not because you, you're expecting her to turn yeah. out to be a big deal and she's just a just throwaway not, character no. yeah. she's in double date scenes like it's really just not good the only thing I will say for this and I don't and, and it was I almost hate myself a little bit for it there were moments in this where I did find myself tittering and I don't know why and I can't fully I, explain look, it that's because me Kevin, too Kevin Hart is a funny guy and this is funny it. guy and this he is, is a it. very funny the, guy for, and Woody Harrelson is a very funny guy and I think this is the problem like, like Kevin Hart's shtick and he does very much have a shtick it's the I'm out of my depth and I'm mm -hmm. a bit stupid shtick that he does. He does it very well. And there, there's a bit where he does an interrogation. And I was, I was on the train watching this, just giggling away to myself. So there are there is fun to be had. It's not a good film. It's not well made, but there is fun to be had. And I think, you know, he, he does there, sell it. Yeah, I think that th those kind of moments were quite frustrating in a way because there is an idea here. Yeah. There is a funny thing here. I thought at one point they were going to go a very different way with it than they did, which I won't get into because it would be a spoiler. We're not going to spoil a special for the book. <laughs> we're not going to spoil a special for this. Um, uh, but, and they didn't. If, if you DM me, I'll tell you what I thought it was going to do and it didn't do it. Um, I think that would have been a stronger film. But it, it was just frustrating that they couldn't do more with these two and that the script yeah. just kind of left them adrift. It had mm. it had a, 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 you know, a classic, I mean, very well-worn, but still classic for a reason, mistaken identity, first act. And then it just had no idea where to go. It becomes this weird mismatch buddy comedy. Yeah. And you're just not sure where it's going. There's a whole sting thing, but they have to give up on that to make it the buddy yeah. thing. And it's just, it, it doesn't know what it wants to do. It doesn't know what it wants to be. And I find that frustrating. So yeah, it could have been, I'm not saying it would have been great, but it would have been better. Um, but it it isn't better. Teddy did. Teddy did. I wouldn't say they Teddy did it. It made me laugh from time to time, and I thought some of the action was pretty decent. But yes, I'm, I, I, I'm, I'm again, I'm a bit hot and cold on Patrick Hughes. I think he's got all the potential to be a very, very good action filmmaker who does seem to keep making terrible films. And I'm not, <laughs> maybe there's something in that. I don't, I don't know. Maybe those two are connected. I don't, I don't know. Bit director though. Is he? Mm. All right. Two stars then for the man, and in fact, it's got two stars in it. Oh. Yay. I want Kaylee Kawoko as well. So three stars. No. But two stars down for the three stars film, uh, which is The Man from Toronto. And last but not least this week, we have, I don't know, which number is this? Minions? Is this Minions 2? Minions 3? Yeah, so it's, it's Minions, Minions two. 2, Despicable Me 3. So I guess it makes Despicable it... Despicable Me 5. What? Well, if you count the other Minions film and the three Despicable Me films. Are there three Despicable Me films? I'm pretty sure. 
Are there yes, three? There are, yeah, there are three, three Despicable Me's and Minions. Oh, yeah, then you're right. Then it's Des- Despicable Five or Minions. Mm. I think the whole point is that this is another Despicable Me film. Well, prequel, isn't it? But they've they've realised the Minions are the draw, so it's now Minions 2. Yeah, yeah all right. Uh, I'll grant you Patrick Hughes, fit director. Yes, he, yeah. he's entered the uh, the Pantheon. There we go. Okay, so I'm sure that's what everybody was waiting for in Beta Breath. In Beta Breath, but uh, yes, Minions is is back. Um, Minions so is back. Minions is back. So that's someone Minions up, that's someone back. up with some enthusiasm for the show. <laughs> Minions we? is no, back. Look, Can this, I, oh is, God. this is a cute film. Mm. This is a okay. cute. Film. I like the Minions. Y- yes, they are a one joke joke, but it's a funny joke. It's a good joke. You know. It's a good um, joke. So the idea here is they have uh, after all the adventures with with Sandra Bullock's character, who I definitely Scarlet Overkill. Yes, <laughs> in the last Minions film, they have ended up with a twelve year old Gru, and they are working for a twelve year old Gru who wants to be a supervillain. He, he's very precocious. And he wants to join, in fact, the Vicious Six. Now, they have just gotten rid of their leader, Wild Knuckles, played by Alan Arkin, um, in favour of Bell Bottoms. Alan Arkin? Yeah, played by Taraji P. Henson. Alan Arkin impression. And so they have an opening for a new member because it's right there in the name. They've got to have six members. So, you know, Gru wants to join, but they laugh at him because he's a child. So he steals something Ugh. from them just to show how capable he is, runs away, Things go wrong. The minions are going to be called upon to save the day. And as we all know, they're not the most competent in the world. So that's going to be problematic. You will forget everything about this film within about an hour of having seen it. But you will have a nice time when you watch it. Problematic when you're reviewing it. I know. (laughs) Genuinely quite difficult to sum up. And I had to look up some of the character names. Like nothing sticks with you. You know the way that like if you go and see, you know, obviously a Miyazaki film, but or if you go and see a Pixar film or the Better Class of DreamWorks film, there'll be a message. There'll be a, there'll be a heartfelt moment. There will be some kind of genuine human emotion there that you can connect to. Mm-hmm. That isn't really the case, much as I love him, with this with this film. Oh. I like Gru, like, but there's, none, there's no equivalent really to Gru and his daughters. I am Gru. To, to, give you that, to give you that little moment of heartfeltness. What you have instead is just like minions bare bottoms as they get pulled along a street by a whatever. You know, there's just crazy stuff going on. And it's cute and it's funny and it's certainly lively and colourful and things move very fast, but there's no no real emotional connection there. See, this is the sort of movie, as as regular listeners of the podcast will know, that you know, I, I, my wife and I are we're hoping to adopt, and that we're very close to finishing that process. Uh, I'm told, and you know, we may soon be adopting a little girl, which is which is you know, I'll, I'll keep I'll keep you guys updated, obviously. Uh, and this is exactly the sort of movie that I'm trying to guard against. <laughs> uh, and I I've been told by people who are parents that I will not be able you to guard be against able this, to guard and against. It, and no. minions minions is will seep inevitable. Your, yeah, minions resistance are inevitable. is futile yes. or Grutile in this case. I I think I mean honestly, the first couple of Despicable Me films like literally have an adoption story in them. They would be oh. lovely to watch with your daughter. Oh, okay then, absolutely adorable. Well, I'm sold. Um, but, in, but there's the children none are of... adopted by a supervillain, so it's actually quite yes, true to life. Oh, so. but they sort of yeah, exactly. It's just like you. It's just so, like me. Um, but but this one is you know there, there's no there's none of that kind of story really. I mean, there's a little bit of self actualization for the twelve year old group, but that's all, and it's not really enough to give you a sort of a, a real emotional heart. Um, mm. There's some very funny stuff. Michelle Yeoh is in there as a, as a master of Kung Fu. People like Julie Andrews and Russell Brand return in very small roles. Amazingly overqualified supporting cast in The Vicious Six who barely get a line each, but you have got Jean-Claude Van Damme, Dolph Lundgren and Danny Trejo in there and Lucy Lawless. But it's just, you know, there's no real... There's, no, there's nothing really to it. Right. It's just, it's cute and it's funny and it's fast and it's colourful. Sounds good to me. 
Sounds good to me. So we gave it three. Three stars. Three stars then for whatever that film is called. <laughs> what is it called? Minions, The Rise of Gru. Minions, The Rise of Gru. You hear it, you hear it here first, folks. Minions, The Rise of Gru. You heard it here first, folks. There we go. Anyway, on that note, on that bombshell, that is it for this week's Empire Podcast. We've got to go and do a, a live video thing. We do. In, in two seconds. Helen, say goodbye to the Great Depressing Pod booth. Toodaloo. Bye. Bye to you, Grey Depressing Pod Booth. You can take the table. Um, no, you can't. I don't want to. <laughs> I will not miss the fact that the lights just randomly turn off when no yeah. one's moved for a while. No, nor will I. Um, I do want that chair, though, by the way. If that chair is up for grabs. Yeah. We'll, make, we'll make the <laughs> chair. It's a good chair. It's, it's a, a very chair. good chair. That's a, that's a Richie from Made. Those yeah. are good chairs. Anyway, <laughs> so, I mean, I feel like this could be used against you in evidence yeah. when the chair, chair turns up missing. No, I'm going to ask if okay, I could take the right, chair. Okay. Obviously, they're not. You know, what are they going to do with the chair? You make a valid point. Actually, you probably could ask. You should. I might. I might ask. What are they going to do with the chair? Sell it to me for a discount, you mothers. Uh, anyway, that is it for this week's Emperor Podcast. Join us next week for more film-related fun when we'll be joined by Christian Bell. Hopefully, Gore the God Butcher in Thor, Love and Thunder. But that's not all. We'll be joined by veritable British acting legend Jenny Agutter, star of The Railway Children, Love and Thunder. It's back. Uh, whatever it's called. Anyway, they're back. They're back. They're back. Very, very excited about that indeed. But anyway, until then, until that auspicious occasion, until we meet again, except for Helen, who's gallivanting over for the next two weeks. Uh, it is goodbye from myself and my two colleagues of such lethal cunning, James Dyer. See you next time. In hell. What that a, was a threat. That was. <laughs> it is goodbye from Hell's Bells, Helen O'Hara. Au revoir. Au revoir. Au revoir. Tu fa. Tu fa. Tu fa. Tu fa. Oui, je vais. Tu fa. En France. En France. Oui, c'est ça. Oui. Très bien. And this goodbye from me. I'm off to sneak into the Radio Times HQ and steal their award. Oh yeah, it's on like Donkey Kong. As your lawyer, no it isn't. No it's not. Thanks for listening. See you next time. Bye. Hands right. Hands right.